Shachtan, an Indo Askelige. Time in Mon Irok the Yen of Chacht Erachor, Agasuligum, a Makan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nach Vetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestian Echo. Vien Talam again Omgrev, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. On this week's Big Tech Show, when will cars safely drive themselves on our streets? And who in Ireland is providing the technology to help them do that? We talk to one of the country's biggest automotive autonomy entrepreneurs. I have BMW Drive Assist in my own vehicle and it is much, much safer because we are all prone to distraction, especially when we're on the motorway from Limerick to Dublin, for example. We've all been there where you actually forgot a whole section of the road. So I would say if you take it from a safety perspective and it does allow you to kind of relax. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcast platforms. Listeners should be aware that today's episode of the Indo Daily contains distressing content. Today on the Indo Daily, unsolved, the disappearance of Philip Kearns. It was completely out of character for him to be, not to, you know, not to be home. He always came home within a quarter of an hour, 20 minutes. No, he seemed to be getting on well at school. We spoke to his teachers, they had no problems with him. For so many of Ireland's adults who remember the 1980s, there's one very significant missing persons case that still haunts us after all these years. This afternoon's big search for 13-year-old Philip Kearns was a community's response to his disappearance. However, despite the hundreds of hours that have gone into the search so far over the past 17 days, the Gardaí are still baffled by his disappearance. Now, when Philip Kearns disappeared, it was the image of a young boy in his confirmation suit that resonated because we all felt like we knew a Philip. He was the fresh-faced brother, the kind-hearted son, or the pal you'd kick a ball about with on the nearby green. In short, his vanishing could have happened to any one of us. Now, this week, that little boy is missing 36 years, and while his disappearance remains a mystery. Along with Gardy and family, there's a handful of journalists who have never stopped asking about what happened to Philip on the 23rd of October in 1986. One of these is the Sunday Independent senior news correspondent Maeve Sheehan. I'm Siobhan Maguire and Maeve joins me today to look back on the story of Philip and how a convicted paedophile called Eamon Cook may have taken exactly what happened to Philip with him to his grave. Garthi, I understand, are appealing to other victims of this man, Eamon Cook, or anyone with information about him or about Philip to come forward. What would you say to people? Well, if, if anybody, I suppose, the Garthi should know exactly what's, what's happened and the man is dead now, so it's not... It's not going to affect anybody in the, in the present time. There isn't a feeling in you that wants to hold somebody responsible for what happened to Philip? Uh, I don't know, really. Don't know. And yet you'd say you'd, you'd forgive that man. You're, you're a very charitable, religious person, are you? Or, <laughs> you have great faith. I have to be. <laughs> Maeve, Philip Kearns disappeared on the 23rd of October in 1986. And before we talk about that, that 
bizarre uh, disappearance. Can I get you to set the scene for me? What was Ireland like in 1986? Ireland was a Very, very, very different place. It was so far removed from the Celtic tiger that was yet to come. There was a sense of suppression. Emigration was high and it was really just not quite on the cusp, but coming to the cusp of change. And, you know, there was so much um, simmering anger under the under the surface in relation to the Catholic Church, for instance, like the abuse scandals had yet to happen. There was a very divisive and bitter divorce referendum. And it was in that context, in, against that background, that, you know, a schoolboy vanished without trace in the suburbs. It was terrifying then, shocking then, and it still is. Yeah, I remember when it happened, uh, Maeve, when, you know, the, the news headlines are all about this missing young boy in Dublin um, and his confirmation photograph, you know, resonated. Yeah. It just, it struck a chord because it seemed so real. Yeah, and he also just seemed so innocent, like so cute, just smiling out in his suit. Like I remember it, you know, his his his, uh, you know, his his kind of lopsided grin and so on. He seemed to be or there was this perception that he was just so innocent, just an innocent snatched. And and also the fact that it happened in the suburbs. I mean, it wasn't like this was in the countryside that uh, there were places to get lost in with it happened within a short distance between his home and his school in Rathfarnham. What do you think has happened from what you know already? Well, my feeling is that uh, he wasn't the kind of boy that run away or child had run away. He was much too quiet and he wasn't anyway self-assured or that. So the only thing I think somebody or something must have uh, by either of a coercion or a trickery taking them, you know. Talk me through that particular day then, Maeve. So Philip, 13 years of age, had gone home for his lunch. Yeah. A lot of us were kind of the latchkey kids in those days where we'd let ourselves in, have our grub and head back to school. But in Philip's case, normally his mam was there. Yeah, that's right. And on this particular day, it happened that she wasn't because she had to take one of the other children to a dental appointment. So uh, Philip arrived home from school. He had lunch, uh, so we're told. I read somewhere way back that he did a bit of maths homework. um, And then he left home at 1.30 and headed back to school. I think the journey took would normally take 15 minutes, a 15 minute walk. And he never arrived. And uh, parents would have assumed, his family would have assumed that he was at school. His teachers thought he may have just stayed home after lunch. So the alarm wasn't raised actually until he didn't come home that evening. I remember his brother, his younger brother Owen, and also maybe his sister in interviews over the years have described how literally in 24 hours, their brother, who was just an ordinary kid, 13 year old, was suddenly within 24 hours on every front page, across every news bulletin and people turning up from all across Dublin to help search for him. It was there was a huge uh, 
effort uh, in those few days. Because maybe these times were very different to now. You know, there was there was no school calling up the family home if a child didn't show up. No, after going home for their lunch. No, and also these days the first the first port of call for um, detectives is going to be social media, mobile phones. You know, like what's the what footprints have they left here? You know, what the, what was the last text message they sent? Who who've they been on the phone to? Who've been have they been talking to online before going missing? And they detectives had none of that. Um, they didn't have any of those avenues to investigate. They just had a missing boy and, you know, th- th- they were able to build a picture of him um, from presumably his family, his friends and other school children. And uh, that's all they had to go on. Because he vanished. Yeah. He, he pretty much just vanished into thin air. I mean, his school bag was eventually found in an alleyway. Over 40 Guardian detectives are now involved in the search for 13-year-old Philip Kearns. And after nearly eight days, they are still mystified as to his whereabouts. The Guardian leading the team say they are completely baffled as to who left his school bag in the lane just a half a mile from his home last night. Yeah, and that's, uh, in fact, the only physical piece of evidence, the only clue, potential clue, should I say, in this mystery. The school bag was found, I think, six days after Philip uh, vanished. It was found in a laneway about four or five hundred metres from his home. The bag was uh, found by two uh, schoolgirls who were walking through the laneway and saw this, I think it was a faded grey satchel leaning propped up against um, the wall in the in the laneway, found it, picked it up and they brought it to the guard station. The curious thing about this bag is that it was left in an area where which had already been searched numerous times in the six days since Philip had vanished. And the other curious thing was that the bag was dry, even though it had been raining, drizzling over the over the previous um, day or a few days, I think. So that led the uh, investigation team to then conclude that it had been deliberately placed there. Forensics at that time, very, very different to what we have now. So... It, it would appear if a school bag is left somewhere that had already been searched and is dry. I mean, we know what our damp, rainy days are like here in Ireland. So even if the bag had been dumped somewhere else and kids had found it, surely it would be in a state of disrepair. It wouldn't be it wouldn't be dry. It wouldn't be, you know, easy to kind of rifle through. No, and I mean, I don't think it was a waterproof bag or anything. So like whatever was in it would have been soaking wet and that wasn't the case. And there were one or two school books missing. So as it far had as been tampered with. So it would seem. Yeah, so it would seem. And um, look, obviously, whoever put the bag there either found it and put it there or was trying to get rid of evidence that related directly to Philip's disappearance. It was somebody with knowledge of his disappearance. You know, I mean, the thing is, Maeve, here we are 36 years on still talking about Philip, still remembering his image, still remembering what happened, that it it dominated the, the news cycle. And his parents always said, um, now his father is deceased now, but always said they believed he had been abducted. But there are some very, very strong theories around Philip's 
disappearance, aren't there? Yeah, look, there have been loads of conspiracy theories. Lots of people have come forward with theories about where Philip is, what may have happened to him. Um, there have been uh, um, theories about, you know, him being taken by a religious cult, about him being, this is awful, but sacrificed up in the Hellfire Club. Um, I know that uh, over the last decade alone, one person came forward to uh, Gardi to say that she had overheard a conversation about uh, Philip being buried in a particular garden in Rathfarnham. Another witness uh, came forward also in the last decade saying that Philip is buried in a different, completely different back garden in Rathfarnham. Um, Rathfarnham Golf Club has been um, in the past. I know there was a dig there. There was a search there for him on foot of a tip off. And you know, none of it has ever amounted to anything. Maeve, I know we keep talking about it being a very different time, but even that idea of stranger danger wasn't something that uh, kids growing up in that time were, were hugely aware of. In fact, it was kind of the opposite thing, that if, if an adult spoke to you, you had to be respectful, you had to be mannerly. And in all of this, there is one particular name that keeps getting connected or linked with Philip that of the Radio Dublin DJ, Eamon Cook. Eamon Cook came into the frame uh, in 2016. Eamon Cook was by then a convicted paedophile. He was convicted of abusing two children, but it was well known that he had abused many, many more down through the years. He was a monster. He was a monster. And in fact, his nickname was the Cookie Monster. Eamon Cook was a pretty odious guy. He was uh, a television repairman who was obsessed with transmitters and so on. And he set up a pirate radio station called Radio Dublin, um, which kept getting shut down because it was a pirate radio station. So it would move from one house to the next and ended up in Inchicore on Sarsfield Road in Inchicore in Dublin 8 for a long time. And um, Cook became a really unlikely champion of um, young people at the time because it was one of the few, the a, a number of pirate stations in Dublin at the time that was, you know, just pouring out, pumping out pop music. You know, the main radio stations weren't doing that at the time. And so like it, they, these pirate stations and Radio Dublin had a huge following um, um, amongst young people. And uh, every time the stations would get shut down, there'd be uproar, protests. And and Eamon Cook knew how to how to um, capitalise on that. And, you know, he courted publicity as well and uh, and, you know, created a bit of a name for himself as this kind of like music champion and so on. And in fact, um, he had the nickname Captain Cook at one point, but He had um, quite a past, like he had a number of convictions for uh, for arson, I think, for criminal damage. Um, He had, you know, connections to the IRA or so he claimed at some point. 
He uh, would drive around the city in his jag, uh, smoking cigarettes, hanging out the window, you know, his elbow out the window. He had walkie-talkies and transmitters and so on in his car. And uh, he used to tune into the, the Garda radios and and uh, whenever there was a 999 call, he'd, you know, race there to be first at the scene and so on. Why he did this, God knows, you know, but um, he often turned up at the scenes of accidents and so on. And I know journalists would often reporting at, at crime scenes would often um, remark on uh, on Cook being present. What, what was rumoured then and it didn't it wasn't confirmed until much later was his abuse of children. He would encourage children to play in his garage and to, uh, you know, it was always full of televisions and bits of wires and radios and so on and walkie talkies. And he would invite children in and encourage them to play. It seems he groomed children and began abusing children. I did interview uh, one of his uh, one of the women, in fact, who was responsible for eventually bringing him to justice. Her name was Anne Kelly. She waived her anonymity and uh, she started off just as a child in Inchicore playing in um, just playing around the radio station, playing around his house. And he lured her deeper and deeper into into his house and eventually um, began abusing her. There were six women in all who accused, uh, who were brave enough to make statements against Cook. And then there were there were these links with um, Philip and and Cook. One of Cook's victims actually said she had seen Philip in Radio mm. Dublin with yeah. him. Yeah. So Cook was convicted. He was in Arbor Hill, and uh, in May 2016. He was by then very ill with cancer. He had lung cancer. The reason Eamon Cook came into the picture uh, is because uh, a woman who had known Cook when she was a child, who had played in his house, in his garage, as a child with lots of other children, she came forward to Gardaí in, actually in 2011, she had started talking to them about what she knew about Eamon Cook. And by May 2016, she was ready to make a statement, a formal statement in which she told Gardy the most, uh, a very detailed and horrendous story uh, about Philip Cairns. And her statement was the first time like that Gardy were, that that Gardy had a testimony from somebody linking Eamon Cook to Philip Cairns' disappearance. And what she told them was that Eamon Cook was bringing her into the radio studio in his car. She remembers the car was wine-coloured. On the way, uh, Cook stopped the car and he picked up a boy um, and encouraged the boy to come into the car. He was going to bring this boy to into the radio studio. Uh, which was then in Inchicore. So according to this girl's account, they went into the studio and then she saw, while they were there, she saw Cook uh, push the boy, assault the boy, and then strike him over the head with uh, some kind of implement. And she then passed out. The next relevant thing that she told the guards was that she was again with Eamon Cook in the car 
he stopped uh, the car by some schoolgirls and uh, asked them, would they take the bag and take this bag and get rid of it? And it was it was a school bag. She said that the girls got into the car, that Cook drove them to a laneway and that the girls got out with the bag and Cook told them where to put it. You can imagine, like, in a case with no leads, you know, a, a complete mystery, a, a missing persons case that was unsolved for, like, 30 years. To, to get a statement like this was really, really um, significant. The detectives uh, went to interview Cook and they had to do that as a priority because Cook at that stage was dying of lung cancer. Uh, he was in um, a hospice uh, in Rohini and they had to make special arrangements to interview him. So he was interviewed over two days, I think on May 21st and May 22nd. And we we knew at the time that um, in 2016, when the story broke, that Cook was interviewed, but we never really knew what exactly he said to the uh, detectives. And actually, Maeve, you had a, a story in last weekend, Sunday Independent, and you have new information on this particular case. To my amazement, because I only learned this last week myself, um, when detectives asked Cook, one of the first questions they asked him was, uh, do you know Philip Cairns? And he said, I did know Philip Cairns. They went on to ask him a series of other questions. Was uh, was Philip Cairns in your radio studio? He acknowledged that he was. They asked uh, Cook if he knew the woman who made the original statement. That woman hasn't been identified, but the detectives would have mentioned her name to Cook. And Cook acknowledged that he did know this woman. He also acknowledged in that first interview that, yes, Philip and that woman were both in the radio studio at the same time. But uh, they couldn't continue on interviewing him over for any significant length of time. They came back. They had to come back the next day. They then put the details of the woman's statement to Cook. In other words, that he had struck Philip, killed him and gotten rid of the the, uh, the school bag, uh, approached school children and asked them to get rid of the school bag in the laneway. This was put to Cook and Cook said no. He, in this interview, then denied that Philip Cairns was in the radio studio at the same time as, as this woman. Um, he also uh, could no longer remember the, the, the school bag and he said that he didn't, uh, or he indicated that he didn't ask schoolgirls to get rid of this school bag in the laneway. So all of this interview, like these two interviews would have been, you can imagine, like very frustrating for the detectives and Cook would have been extremely ill. He was dying, you know, and uh, what sort of credibility could they give to his, you know, supposed like quasi admission, at least the admission that he knew Philip Cairns. But it was enough um, for the detectives to start for Gardy to launch a full inquiry into into this. Was Eamon Cook involved in Philip Cairns' disappearance? And they planned on go- returning to interview Cook again, but he died days later. He died on the 4th of June. And whatever he knew about Philip Cairns, like we still to this day don't know 
did he or did he not know Philip Cairns? The archives and they uh, sent it for DNA testing. And there is DNA on the bag, actually, but they can't test it. It's it's too insufficient uh, sample. A witness had come forward stating that the late convicted paedophile and DJ Eamon Cook, who died in June 2016, had taken the boy to a radio studio in Inchicore and had killed him. But following analysis, no forensic link was established between the school bag and Cook or any other person of interest. You know, here we are um, almost four decades on. Philip would be around 50 years of age had he lived. Mm. Uh, we're still talking about what happened to him, um, You know who did this. You know, as you mentioned, Eamon Cook brought whatever he knew with him to the grave. Do you think we'll ever have an answer? Uh, what is clear is this. At this stage, there are only two avenues. There is DNA on the bag and maybe in time, the scientific advances will be such that that DNA can be tested. The other avenue then is like that, obviously, somebody put that bag there, even for that person to come forward now with information, you know, where they found the bag, the location, where it was, all of that would provide vital information to the investigation, which is very much ongoing. There are people out there with information is what I'm saying, you know, there's as long as those people are out there, as long as they're alive, you'd hope that there is a chance that they might come forward. And that really is ultimately, I guess, what's going to crack this case. People are keeping secrets and they need to come forward now and shed the secrecy and tell what happened. And a huge thanks there to Maeve Sheehan from the Sunday Independent for joining me today. I'm Siobhan McGuire and today's episode of the Indo-Daily was produced by myself, researched by Tabitha Monaghan, recorded by John Smith with sound by Gavin Hennessy. Archive clips from today with Sean O'Rourke on RT Radio 1, Radio Dublin, Virgin Media News, RT Archives and independent.ie. If you enjoy the Indo-Daily, don't forget to like, follow and leave us a review. And you can find more of our award-winning journalism online at independent.ie.